Welcome to the first Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast by John Holzman, uh, reporting in on what's happening in the world and hoping to have some fun in doing it. Um, This first podcast is really personally very important to me because, oddly enough, America's disastrous efforts at nation building have pretty much guided my life, both professionally and personally. When America was first entering nation building in Iraq and Afghanistan, I was a young guy, a young Turk in Washington, making my way, and things had gone very well indeed in 1999. Um, At the age of 32, I had a corner office at the Heritage Foundation, which is the largest think tank in the world, and uh, I was a made man shortly thereafter. Uh, I was made a life member of the Council on Foreign Relations for a variety of lucky accidents on my part. Um, And so things looked very good indeed. In fact, if I didn't screw things up, the bench strength of the Republican Party in foreign policy at the time was very low. And if I just didn't screw things up, I could confidently look forward to being an assistant secretary of state, join the College of Cardinals, and if things went right, be pope. In this case, secretary of state was an option. And so as a young guy, all I had to do was do nothing and publish dutiful of boring work and uh, let my seniority uh, take care of the rest in the next 20, 25 years. But fortunately or unfortunately for me, Iraq and Afghanistan intervened, and a series of specific events happened that really changed my life um, and changed the world. And so I want to tell you these anecdotes before I get to the grand strategic foreign policy conclusions. I was a member of a Council on Foreign Relations Task Force, which looked at, after the success Uh, that the Bush administration had in destroying Saddam's Republican Guard. How do we run the place? And so there were task forces set up all over Washington. Brookings Institute had a task force. Heritage had a task force. The council had a task force. And this was all seen as planning to give to the administration where they could pick and choose from it as to what they wanted for how to run things the day after they inherited the mess that was Iraq at the time and also Afghanistan. And very quickly, it became clear to me that the people involved knew nothing about the history, culture, macroeconomics, philosophy, religious background of Iraq and Afghanistan. People would be sent to me at Heritage who were being sent out to Iraq and Afghanistan, where I would explain to them the basic difference between a Sunni, a Shia, and a Kurd. And these were people who were going to be in positions of power who just didn't know the basic ethno-religious building blocks they were dealing with. And they were going to, a 20 minute briefing for me was going to cover this. You cannot remake a society of which you know nothing. And we certainly knew nothing at the working level as to what was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that became painfully clear to me as I briefed very well-meaning people who were giving impossible jobs and who didn't know the historical difference between Sunnis and Shias, without which you really can't deal with the complicated mosaic that is indeed Iraq or Afghanistan, as President Biden has recently said, and Afghanistan has never been a united country. It's been a series of tribes since time began that only unite together when they're invaded and then fall out with each other. And this is indeed what's happened since Alexander the Great in Afghanistan. And to not know this, to not know what's going on, has been a catastrophe for the United States. But this is because behind all this nonsense is a very noxious notion we'll get to in a little bit. Um, 
While I was at Council on Foreign Relations on the task force, we were told we were breaking up into different groups, and one of the groups we were involved with was women's rights. Now, I want to stipulate I am in favor of the Western notion of women's rights. The fact that I have to say that is crazy, but I will. But the idea that we were going to go to Grand Ayatollah Sistani, the man with the most legitimacy in terms of politics in Iraq, and tell him that he better get behind our position on women's rights and that he was going to go along with this struck me as the height of utopian lunacy. We were going to impose upon societies our vision of their future and assume that they would buy in because they would agree and immediately drop centuries worth of culture, history, and their own background and come around to the position of the council. The idea that this was going to happen and that the people we needed to buy into American involvement in Iraq were going to drop their culture struck me as dangerously misguided, and yet nobody else said anything. I remember going back and talking to my chief aide, Will, and saying, I must have taken crazy pills. I'm the only one at the meeting who's questioning whether a one-size-fits-all approach to nation building might not be a disaster. Um, so this was another building block. A third point, and a point I did raise at the council meeting, was that the only Iraqis we talked to were people who uh, had last been in Iraq in 1958 with the fall of the monarchy. In other words, as I put it, the Iraqis we talked to last were in Iraq when the Dodgers played baseball in Brooklyn. And this struck me as absolutely crazy that we were talking to exiles who'd lost out on a power grab that took place 50 years before, like Mr. Chalabi, listening to what they had to say as they told us what we wanted to believe when they knew nothing of what was going on day to day in terms of Iraqi culture and indeed had last been in Iraq when the Brooklyn Dodgers existed as a baseball team. So you cannot remake a society of which you know nothing. And over and over and over again, this made me increasingly uneasy in a day-to-day -day kind of um, pointless strategy that all the bullet points lined up that this really wasn't going to work very well indeed. Um, I decided to write a book with Anatole Levin called Ethical Realism, saying that the Bush administration on the right and the neoconservatives on the right and the liberal interventionists who are absolutely no better on the left uh, in the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton was part of this, Joe Biden was part of this, John Kerry was part of this. Uh, part of the reason Barack Obama won the presidency is he almost uniquely was not part of this. But that the blob, the foreign policy establishment in Washington, were heading us off a cliff, uh, blithely ignoring a very key point. And the key point is this. Local history, culture, macroeconomics, geography, ethno-religious organization, is fundamental, is fundamental. After writing Ethical Realism, I wrote another book, uh, a biography of Lawrence of Arabia, a guy who got it right, because Lawrence's entire philosophy, as is predicated in the 27 articles, a wonderful how to work with local cultures book he wrote for British serving officers in World War I that reads, I remember looking at it, I felt like Indiana Jones, I found this sacred text, says, you have, if you work with local cultures, you cannot lose. If you work and impose things against them, you cannot win. And this struck me as absolutely right and absolutely what we were doing wrong in Iraq. We were trying to make a unitary state where none existed. There were three basic building blocks in Iraq, the Sunni, the Shia, and the Kurds. A more decentralized system would have fitted that governmental structure, but instead we centralized everything because it was easier for us to do that. 
than to look at the complex mosaic that was actually Iraq. The same in Afghanistan. Rather than see that they're the Pashtuns and the Tajiks and the Kazakhs and the Hazaras and these various tribal groups that the jockey for power and must all be included in what must be a loose confederal arrangement, which actually suits the political facts on the ground. There is a loose tribal structure that occasionally should get together and have meetings to manage national issues, but most powers should be devolved locally when there's this complex mosaic. And rather, again, we thought we'd centralize everything, thereby alienating innately many groups, in this case, the Pashtun in Afghanistan, which is a plurality, the largest single group, which was excised, which was dominated by the Taliban. Without involving all these groups, you're unlikely to be successful. And by ignoring the fact that we don't have a one-size-fits-all, the, the cancerous idea at the base of what went wrong here is simple. What the nation builders of the left and the right, by the way, all of whom should lose their jobs, this is appalling to me that in a republic like the United States, people who are for this nonsense have gone on and failed upward, have gotten better jobs, have done better, have never been called to account for the catastrophe in Iraq and Afghanistan, which has cost trillions, killed tens of thousands, and left Iran the dominant power in the Gulf, led to the rise of ISIS and the collapse of Iraq and Afghanistan as functioning states. All that can be laid at the door of the foreign policy elite of the United States, who have not been called into account, been fired, had their career promotion stopped, and this absolutely cannot go on a superpower anymore. I have the naive and radical view we should be held accountable for what we say and do. Those of us who are successful analytically should do well. Those of us who fail to see these things, people, for instance, who didn't call Brexit right, should not be hired and should not do well. This is my naive and radical view that merit, above all, is what matters. And we certainly, as an establishment in America, show no merit over what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. So indeed, everything is interchangeable. Local culture doesn't count. Local political configurations don't count. Religion doesn't count. Society doesn't count. The political structures don't count. The history, the geography, all of that can be wiped away because in a sense, we are a tabula rasa. Every human being comes to this with none of this mattering and we can do things in one direction. One size fits all. And many people at these meetings said very stupid things at the time that no one bothered correcting because most people went along. In other words, we can run Afghanistan and Iraq much as we did nation building in Germany and Japan. I heard this. If I had a dollar for every time I heard this, I'd be a far richer man. And of course, this is absolute nonsense. In Germany, telling the Germans after World War II to be capitalist wasn't something new to the Germans. They'd been capitalists for 600 years with the Hanseatic League. Telling the Germans to have a decentralized federal government wasn't news to the Germans. They only became a United Nation in the late 19th century. Up until then, they were a series, a very odd series, of city-states, uh, of which the largest were areas like Prussia and Bavaria, but there were many, many other smaller states lingering around. So to say to have a decentralized or federal approach suited German history. We weren't telling them to do anything they didn't understand. We were merely telling them to go back into their history and organically link up with some of these, these notions the United States wanted. And by working with this local history, we've built the enduring polity together with the Germans of the German Republic, which is now infinitely boring, if infinitely stable. 
And that is to our success. In Japan, very opposite kind of situation. Douglas MacArthur, who knew very little about American politics, knew a great deal about Japanese politics, and he positions himself as just the most successful warlord. Much has happened during the Tokugawa shogunate or the Meiji Restoration. MacArthur said, look, I've won the innate wars in Japan. We'll kick the emperor upstairs and make him a titular or ceremonial head. And I, as the new shogun, will induce top-down reform, particularly agrarian reform, agricultural reform, and that will make Japan go again. And of course, this was, again, part of Japanese history. They did this with Meiji. They did this in the Tokugawa era. This was taking Japanese culture, adapting what America policy-wise was trying to do to what Japanese culture already existed. But any lunatic, and there were plenty of them out there who are now in senior positions at think tanks all through Washington, having paid no price for this, all these people said, in essence, we will do Iraq and Afghanistan like we did Germany and Japan after World War II, as though German and Japanese history were not entirely different from Afghan and Iraqi history. And to ignore these differences, to see a one-size-fits-all thing, is the noxious, cancerous failure at the heart of all the other failures for nation-building. Because once this fails, as inevitably it will in both places, you are left with an option. You have a ruling elite that you've put in that has no local legitimacy with large segments of its indigenous population. So the more you stay and the more you support it, the more they're seen as stooges of yours, as people who are there merely to do the whim of the American colonial protectorate. And without local legitimacy, you can never leave because the government is too weak to stand on its own feet. And in fact, with the Ghani government, the hapless, corrupt Ghani government of Afghanistan, we're hearing people saying this very, very thing right now. We're hearing people say, well, if we, if we leave, it's going to fall apart. That's true, but that's not the point. The point is because it's going to fall apart after spending a trillion dollars and 20 years, it is not have local legitimacy, and it never will. And if it doesn't, you have only two options. You colonize the place and stay forever, which we're not prepared to do in the modern era, or you get out. Those are the only options. And very late in the day, day late and a dollar short, President Biden, to his credit, realizes this, also realizing that this isn't entirely strategically beside the point, as the Middle East is a dangerous sideshow when the real game has been the rise of Japan and what's going on in the Indo-Pacific, that this is the game in the future, that China has evolved as a peer competitor now, not at some future day, but now, and the dealing with the Chinese, the Sino-American Cold War, is the only thing the United States should be focusing on primarily. And instead, we're mired in, in these wars of choice that have led to nothing but trillions of dollars being spent. And let's not pretend this wasn't foreseeable. I said at the time, as I was leaving Washington, to anybody who would listen, and lots of people read Ethical Realism and did listen, bless them, that the outcome of this is foreseen. You will destroy Iraq. There are only three great powers in the Gulf, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. If you destroy Iraq, you leave Iran, the dominant power. The Saudis, demographically, they're just not enough of them. They could all be flying F-16s, and they're not enough of them to, on their own, balance against Iran. So if you destroy the other bulwark, Iraq, it's pretty clear you've just made Iran the dominant power of the Gulf. At the time, this struck me as madness, making the Iranians America's great regional enemy, the dominant power in the Persian Gulf, 
should be lunacy. And anybody who thinks otherwise, again, this is this is foreign policy malpractice of an egregious sort. Second, the country was going to fall apart. The formerly ruling Sunni, now displaced by the by the plurality Shia, were going to be radicalized. Now, I didn't know the outcome would be ISIS, but I knew they'd be radicalized. And 20 years ago, I said so. So when people say you can't foresee what's going to happen, this is nonsense. If you're good, you can. And I did. And, and this should be made very, very clear, that, that the Sunni would be radicalized and that this would be a danger for the region. I said at the time, I had no idea how great a danger it would be and that ISIS would be as horrible, wicked and virulent as it was, but that there would be a danger. I saw that Iran would be the dominant power. I saw that we'd spend a trillion dollars. I saw and that it would fail. I saw. So let's not pretend this can't be looked at. Nation building only works when you work with cultures and not against them, as the great Lawrence of Arabia made clear in his 27 articles. Funny story there. Lawrence, when he was writing these articles as to how to work with local peoples, did so because the British government in London realized if he's killed fighting out in Arabia, they have no idea how he's making this work. Literally no idea what he's doing. So they, they commanded him to write down exactly what was happening. And they said to him at the time, if you're killed, who should we have take your place? And he said, somewhat facetiously, Gertrude Bell. The reason he picked Gertrude Bell is that she, quite an incredible woman, was the foremost anthropological expert on the Middle East and Arabia of her day. What he was saying in his joking Lorenzian passive aggressive way was you need to put in place someone who understands local culture. You need to put in place someone who works with local culture. That if you come in from outside, assume everyone is a blank slate, a tabula rasa, and you try to impose your conceptions on them, you will have to stay forever to do so. And you're not prepared to do that. And so Lawrence was forced to write the 27 articles because it dawned on the British that he might be killed and they had no idea what the magic formula was. The magic formula is simple. Acknowledge that history matters. Acknowledge that culture matters. Acknowledge that local society matters. Acknowledge that localism in general is how we all behave, how we all feel, that we're all conditioned by these things and that we're not just blank slates that can be written on by guys at the Council on Foreign Relations, the Brookings Institution, or the Heritage Foundation. This is the noxious mistake behind all the strategic follies that have followed. The reason I'm starting our Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast, which we hope to do weekly, on this topic is that there are people trying to squirm out from under this, alarmed the interventionist blob of both the neoconservative right and the liberal interventionist left. They're worried that as we see the failures in Iraq and Afghanistan, that this may so discredit them personally, and I certainly hope it does, and certainly the idea of national uh, of nation building as a, as, a, as a guiding force of American policy, that they won't be able to do this again. And indeed, I hope that's the case. I am now in for the kill. Having had this change my life, uh, I had to go to Europe. I started my own business, which, thank goodness, has gone from strength to strength. But really, the key point of my professional and personal life was standing up to this vampire. And now it's time to finally and forever drive a stake through its heart. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope this is the beginning of a long-time viewership where we can explore issues with a certain irreverence, but dig at the deep things that actually make the world what it is today. Thanks a lot.